this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all human beings, all persons, places, and things listening. This is the Woke Bros with myself, Michael Brooks, and my comrade, compatriot, Big Waz. Waz, how you doing? Yo, what's going on, Michael? Good to be here, man. Good to be here. This is the very first Woke Bros since... Count the Dings announced its corporate merger, corporate takeover. This is like Time Warner. Um, you know what I'm saying? This is like AT&T. You know, this is just a big-ass merger. The Athletic, as well as Count the Dings. Um, I know uh, some people still, because the crazy thing is, man, there are people who come to us for different things. right? Like, there's people who only come for the Monday show. For Black Opinions Matter Mondays, there's, there's some people who only come for Woke Bros. There's some people who only, you know, were consuming the basketball product. Um, so different people are getting the information at different times. Not everybody's on Twitter. Not everybody's on social. Not everybody saw that big write-up on the big lead, you know, <laughs> that came out on Monday. But, um, yeah, just just some house cleaning, man, as far as the news is concerned and as far as what you can expect from Woke Bros and, and Count the Dings going forward. So – Basically, what happened is that The Athletic has acquired all of our basketball NBA properties, right? And so that is The Daily Ding, as well as the back-to-back podcast, Nerdish She Wrote, Basketball Buds. Um, those those will continue to be pu- on public platforms up until we're thinking a schedule, a soft launch date for The Athletic exclusive paywall content on April the 8th. Okay, so that means you'll get to listen to basketball buds and all of that on the public platform until April 8th um, in the same exact iteration that it's always been. Uh, When we launch it on The Athletic, there will be some tweaks. It'll be different. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Now, as far as the uh, patrons are concerned, our our patrons, which is basically some of the most important stuff that we do here servicing you guys, we struck a deal with The Athletic, and, and we got an agreement that all of our patrons will get a free year of The Athletic, um, just because they were already patrons Ooh. of us, of course, so that right. they, can come, they can come on to The Athletic, and they will have a year-free subscription. Now, if you were already subscribed to The Athletic, and you were also a patron, you will get a year-free tacked on to yours. Okay, so everybody, whether you were already over there, with, um, already subscribed or not, you are going to get a year subscription. And, you know, last but not least, Woke Bros, uh, Black Opinions Matter, uh, Pack Your Knives, all of, those, all of those entities will remain exactly as they are, if not get even better. But it is important, right? It is important that everybody remains a patron. And if you haven't already signed up, we're going to be even doing more exclusive content. I know um, I actually talked to the guys yesterday about an idea that I had for my own, my very first patron show. Um, oh, and so shit. you guys, yeah, yeah, man. So you guys right. can look forward to exclusive Waz content. Those of you who care anyway, you guys can look forward to exclusive content from me, um, behind the Patreon paywall. Welcome to a new episode of I hate white people. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as if Michael's a mind reader. Yeah, no, Waz and I are very close. Um, and so yeah. Robin, and, did and I most anything? importantly, 
I just, I mean, first of all, congratulations, man. Thanks, this has Mike. been like something that I love, uh, you know, I've known about for a little while. So it's cool to be able to, you know, publicly celebrate it with you guys. And also as part of these big moves, the updated great looking Count the Dings website finally has me front and center. So I think <laughs> that's obviously very big news as well. Yeah. 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 And um, um, yeah, and just, I guess that's go ahead. Bob. Just just one thing also to note about the Patreon stuff. If anybody is interested in signing up for the Athletic, you get some great content. Obviously, you're going to get Wise. You're going to get Dave Dufour, who's also joining as a writer. Um, you're obviously going to get the podcast. You also get other stuff from other great writers like Sam Amick, Shams Charania. I mean, the list goes on for all sports, not just hoops. Um, so if you do want to sign up for the Athletic, we do have a special promo code going on. So you're going to want to go on theathletic.com slash dings. It's D-I-N-G-S. You get 40% off for the year it's like 225 per month you're paying like 25 bucks it's it's a great deal so um again it's count or theathletic.com slash dings and like was and michael brooks are saying definitely check out count um we're gonna have photo galleries in there from past live shows a lot more live show information some sizzle reels coming out with some great content um showcasing what we've done in the past what we we're expecting to do so um just definitely keep it locked and uh, keep tuned to everything we're doing uh, and, sizzle, sizzle reels. Let me just say, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> and uh, of course, cannot forget the Counted Dings live show in Chicago at Lincoln Hall on May 18th. Tickets available via CountedDings.com, uh, via uh, Patreon. Uh, so make sure you get that. Everybody in the Chicago area, anybody who can come out, you know, fly out, bus out. Trust me, you will not want to miss this show. Lots of special guests. The entire Counted Dings crew will be in attendance. Um, every single live show has just continued to improve as far as quality of content and all of that stuff. It's just been an amazing ride, and I think Chicago will be no different from that. Actually, I guarantee Chicago will be no different from that, so make sure you're getting the tickets to that. Michael, can you talk to me about the live show in L.A.? I mean, come on. It's the L.A. live show, the Michael Brooks live show, April 20th, so that could certainly be part of your day's activities if you take that seriously. I've already been getting all the messages about what quantities and how and to what degree people are going to be celebrating that day when they're at the TMBS live show. Uh, it's the same deal as the other shows. There's a VIP section, so you can come a couple of hours ahead, hang out with the TMBS show crew and our esteemed, exalted guests. Of course, Big Waz, Nando Vila, who also regularly you can see his writing on soccer at The Athletic as well as his documentary movies and everything else, all really diffusion, YouTube, everywhere. And then, of course, the living legend, Anna Kasparian from the Young Turks. Uh, we're going to have, just like the show at the Bell House, there's going to be some pre-recorded sketches. We're going to have like uh, games and themes and also just sit the fuck back and have an amazing time with everybody. And I will tell you, as I've been saying, things are going to start ticking back up. Uh, and they already have even earlier uh, than the bell house tick back up because we're still several weeks out. So there isn't that extra 50 to have sold out on the last day. Uh, there's less tickets here. So you might find yourself not able to come and that would really suck for you. Because uh, even honestly, like even some of the people that are not going to be on stage, but are like on the list, frankly, are, you know, there's at least one uh, count the dings person. There's a bunch of TYT. Here. I mean, you're going to want to come. Just don't be like, come on, don't don't rest. You're going to want to be there. Of course, you can get me, get the whole TMBS experience at patreon.com slash TMBS. Thank you. The first 2,100 patrons, we're going to keep growing and building. And also, of course, tons of clips now. Uh, so you can really get a flavor of the show as well as watch the whole Tuesday main show at the Michael Brooks show YouTube channel. And we're just shy of our first 35,000 subscribers. So we're starting to get the presence there too. And uh, I'll see you soon. What's going on, everybody? This is Rob just cutting in really quick to tell you all about Chegg. That's right, Chegg. Chegg is a leader in online study assistance. Whether you need textbook solutions or expert Q&A, there's no better tool to help you ace your class than Chegg Study. 
They have everything you need to make the most out of any study session or breeze through even the toughest of homework problems. Study at home, on your desktop, or anywhere on the go with the Chegg Study mobile app. Now, you see, Chegg, for me, when I was in college, was just a place you went to go and rent books, but Chegg is stepping it up. It's crazy. Uh, Speaking of those same books, or speaking of Chegg helping you out with your studies, uh, you can get online study assistance that will never break the bank. Get more for your money with Chegg Study. Subscriptions are affordably priced and can be canceled at any time. When I was in college, I could have definitely used Chegg Study a lot to help me out through some of the stuff that I had going on in class, especially everything that involved textbooks, workbooks, things of that nature. You never know when you're going to need a study assistant sometimes when you got to cram for a final, cram for a midterm, whatever the case may be. You definitely want to take advantage of this Chegg Study program. And on top of all of that, if you need help with some tough problems right away, you can simply use the Chegg Study app to snap a quick picture of problems not covered in your textbook, then submit it instantly to Chegg's experts. Get a response back in as little as two hours anytime and anywhere. So if you really have something going on that you don't have an answer to, hit up Chegg Study and they will definitely help you out. So if you want to take advantage of the Chegg Study program and get $5 off your first month's subscription, you're going to go to Chegg.com slash B-O-M and use promo code B-O-M. That's Chegg.com slash B-O-M, B as in boy, O as in ostrich, M as in money. Once again, that's Chegg.com, C-H-E-G-G.com slash B-O-M. Uh, let's get to it. Um, I don't know. If, of course, I forgot to mention, as always, uh, the great Rob Lopez, the evil genius apprentice, is steering the ship on this journey, this woke bros excursion. What do they say in my bio? They said that I'm I'm your communist brother and so woke I'm an insomniac. I don't know, <laughs> if, I don't know whether that was Rob or Jade. <laughs> That's hilarious! Oh my god, <laughs> that was ridiculous. That might have that might have been um, that might might have been Anthony Mays. So oh, Anthony Mays might have been Mays because he, he he does I all want, of our intro work. I want sometimes on woke pros. I think we and I don't. I love everybody and count the things. That's actually the truth. But off the top of my head, I want a Zach Harper visit. I want an Anthony Mays visit. I want a Nissan visit. And I think a Trey visit. Absolutely. But anyways, uh, being as that that may. All right. Um, okay. So we got to talk about Beto O'Rourke, the empty nothing that is Beto O'Rourke. And let me just say, too, I don't – well, sometimes I do lay things on the line like this. If you like Beto O'Rourke, if you have contributed money to Beto O'Rourke, if you're tweeting about how inspired you are by Beto O'Rourke, well, first, you should actually read something and look at his record. <laughs> and secondly, fuck you as a staff record label and as a motherfucking crew. This guy, who incidentally, to the extent he has a record, is well to the right of forget even like the actual progress we need. Bernie Sanders or yeah. Elizabeth Warren, this dude is to the right of the corporatists. He's to the right of Gillibrand. The, the Cory Bookers. Right Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, all of that. He's a right-wing empty suit. Right. And he built a national brand because he was running as a human being against yeah. one of the most – I actually would say even with Trump, Ted Cruz is the most disgusting and repulsive figure in American politics, full stop. He ran against I, I mean, I, I would give that to Mitch McConnell, but I don't you know. I, fair. I see where that, you're taking it, though. <laughs> the, by the way, that's the, that is definitely the savvy news consumers take right there. So that's that's show, why I was showing you again that he's the real police. He's the real political analyst. Yes, Mitch McConnell, no question. But. I'm just I just want to say, though, like, OK, and I think people definitely if you've, you know, watching TMBS or Majority Report, you've heard me on this even and it, but it irritates me so much. But I'll just say real quick before I throw to you on this was, OK, there is the bigger point that there's the crisis of Trump that is unique and that is a huge threat and we need to defeat Trump, period. Right. Then there is the, the dividing line, which is those on the left who actually understand that it isn't just Trump, 
It's a historical crisis of capitalism, of inequality, of a global rise of fascism and right supremacy. And you got to deal with the underlying facts, the underlying problems. And that's what Bernie Sanders, again, he's not perfect. Nobody is, but he is really good. And that's what he's pointing to. Then you got, you know, okay, someone like Kamala Harris. No, absolutely. She's not doing that. That's not her record. That's not her politics. But again, and this is not how I'm voting this time. Uh, and it's ultimately, I think the policies are what matter most. But the reality is, is like, okay, she can say, well, I'm putting a different point on the board. I would be the first black woman to be president. That, okay, like, I'm not going to vote on that. But that's a, a very legitimate it's, and important thing to put across. Sure. It, Beto O'Rourke has nothing. I mean, <laughs> why are we doing quite literally, and I'm being intentional here about this, okay? A pale version of Barack Obama, a knockoff of Barack Obama. In fact, it's an insult because Barack Obama gave actual speeches before he got up to the crescendo part. All this guy does is the crescendo part and herk his jerk his body around. Anytime you get to any specific thing, he's weaseling out of Medicare for all. He wrote he vote for voted in favor of you know the oil companies, uh, police brutality, tra uh, trade agreements that hurt workers, opposed to the environment. I mean, this is the reality here. Not to mention the fact that he's married into a real estate fortune that has you know. Of course, like everywhere else, through the you know process of of capitalism, frankly, gentrified El Paso. Get the fuck out of here, man! Come on. Yeah, I think the problem with Beto is that when you talk about the comparisons to Barry, whatever you want to say about the cult of personality, the the you know the charisma, the this this that, and the third, like there was a purpose, right? Meaning, like I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna make sure every single American family has health care. Like that's mm -hmm. something to aspire to, right? Like right. that's a it's a tangible purpose. Like all of the soaring speeches and soaring rhetoric about red and blue in America, blah blah blah. It was in service of a actual purpose. Like there were things that he actually wanted to do, right? And so. Beto is practicing a politics of just straight up cynicism, right? It's whatever he thinks he can get by by micro fitting, uh, whatever it is will get him through each conversation, right? And so if he's like, man, I think I, I think I could get away from jumping away from Medicare. He's trying to be as malleable as possible. And by the way, it's it's the easier step to take, right? It's the it's the path that of least resistance because you don't have to tether yourself to any actual position and answer hard questions. He thinks he has the rhetorical ability to move around, shake around all of the hard questions that will be asked of somebody who's trying to get the democratic um, nomination for president. But the problem for Beto is th this ain't the field for that, brother. Like, this just ain't the field for that. Like, there are actual there are actual things that people want. People want the minimum wage hike. People want Medicare for all. People want um universal college. People want, um you know, family paid leave. Like, these are things that people, like, want. This is not right. like... Uh, Man, we don't know what we no, like there are actual goals and aims out there that people would like to strive for. You know, and so I think his his his, his act is not going to actually work. You know, it's it's just not going to work in this field because there are too many actual issues that the 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 rank and file Democratic Party members actually want this time. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I also just think like you know, you look at the poll, polls where Bernie has the hardest time as just, you know, him as a candidate, but also a stand in for like, you know, a campaign that's really about actual things and not just like some kind of like weird narcissistic marketing exercise like Beto's doing. And, you know, a lot of hay is made mostly actually dishonestly, because if you just look at the polls, I mean, Bernie is actually there's Bernie's mostly popular with black, Latino, and uh, most voters. There's the right. one group he's the least popular with is in the Democratic primary are people who make over a hundred grand a year and have a postgraduate degree. In other right. words, in other words, the problem <laughs> like, like neoliberals, yeah, these <laughs> barnacles on the one percent who aren't even like 
Actually, if they were thinking strategically, like those programs would benefit them too, but they psychologically identify with like actual oligarchs, like the actual successes. And, you know, they're more interested in, in, you know, garbage woke television series and calling people out on Twitter. They actually have no commitment to justice, no real compassion. <laughs> and, and they're, and, and these are the people who, you know, are flocking to this empty narcissistic exercise because, you know, the truth, I think for, you know, for some of them, it's like, they don't even want, like, they just want the psychological burden of having this fucking monster president be gone. Not so they can be like, shit, man. Like I was asleep at the wheel. How did this happen? Maybe I need to actually think about this stuff a little bit more. They just want to get, they just want to feel better. Yeah. Oh, Beto's president. Now I can just, you know, go back to just to, 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 you know, Netflix and, and binging. <laughs> go back to go back to my macchiato. <laughs> go back to my macchiato. I mean, there's a tweet I saw a couple a couple like a year ago. It was like the quintessential tweet. And it was like, oh, man, if Hillary was president. I would be shopping for new couches online right now. And right. And the thing is, is like, you know, as you know, obviously, and, and again, I make no false equivalency. Of course, Trump is worse. Of course, the Republicans are worse. But like, you know, you didn't see that tent like this country was already in profound crisis in terms of inequality, poverty, employment, prison, industrial complex, not even to mention the bodies that we leave across the world with U.S. empire, which, of course, were, you know, of course, that would not interest any of those people either. So I just think, you know, it's not to me, it's first that it's like. Beto's coming in with all this narcissistic bullshit, but also that he speaks to the most deluded of people. And it's frustrating because it's like they actually need a, some cold water on their face. But instead, they're going to listen to some fucking West Wing world, you know, word salad from this fucking nothing. And but, you know, at the same time, though, there is something to be said about the idea of like he seems like a guy who can unite people. Right. Um who can get people excited about going out to the voting booth. And the bottom line is what he does have in his favor is charisma wise. He is the exact polar opposite of what the nominee was last time. And I think a lot of those centrist center leaning Dems, that's what they, they just want to win. Right. Like they don't really care what it means to win with Beto. Like they just want to get the W. Um, and th that's what I think you're seeing a lot of there. And, you know, and even with so and like you said, with Kamala and with Cory Booker or even Gillibrand, I think if you like those people, I don't think it's because of particular policies that they right. espouse. I think you just like the cut of their jib. Right. right. Like you just Definitely. think Cory yeah. Booker in that job is going to be competent at it. And you think the same thing about Kamala Harris, meaning she will get into that office and she will have competence. And to a certain degree, like I, I tend to agree with that. Like, I don't think these people would be complete incompetence, but if I have it my way, of course not. Right. Of course not. Of course they're not, you know, as progressive, as liberal as I would like to see our president be. Right. And, you know, and it'd be nice to have a, an actually liberal president in there for the first time in what <laughs> you know what i'm saying like Never. since lyndon johnson maybe you know since fdr but i think you know what it is like i i mostly agree with you but i think that what and and you know we're right now where we're at if the trend continues probably trump could be defeated by all of these people because he's incredibly unpopular overall but i actually but i do think you know he's gonna keep his base and Especially like if the Democrats put forward a candidate who's just got nothing, like even if they have a little bit of charisma. And I think honestly, Beto's charisma is really oversold because I think like this is somebody who, you know, he's competing in charisma free environments. We haven't yep. seen Beto go up against charisma. Guys, this is Michael Brooks telling you that he's a lot cooler than Beto O'Rourke. Well, I think that goes without saying. But, no, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like, no, I understand what you're saying. Ted Cruz. Like, I mean, like, this is not somebody who – and also, again, it's like he's a dope. I feel like, you know, I, I can tell you it's, it's, it's very odd to me anytime I hear somebody that is old enough to – and you don't have to be that old, but was like a way, like around when Obama was around as like a news consumer. 
And to just be like, okay, that was charisma. Like, like I heard somebody the other day, like, a, you know, like a, a friend of mine and, and, you know, whatever they, and again, I think Kamala Harris, like, yeah, she's got a little bit of charisma. Sure. Yeah, sure. But like she said, this friend of mine was like, well, Kamala kind of has that Obama thing going on. And I was like, oh. mm, no, <laughs> like you're saying that, like, you know, this is like a top 20 decent player who makes a good run at the U.S. Open. You're comparing right. To like one of the best players to pick up a racket who could win on every surface. Like, right. you know, no. and, and so I do think that honestly, I think that if you, especially when you look just, just purely electorally, the States that you need to win to win. And you look at like a place like Wisconsin, which Hillary Clinton royally fucked up by not campaigning there. And you break down the data and it isn't just I mean, yes, there's a little bit of people who flip from Obama to Trump. Right. Like the handful of people that actually were those voters, they exist. But the bigger problem is a lot of people didn't show up white and black in Wisconsin, by the way. Read. Uh, I'll give you a link. Malika Jabali has an amazing piece on this called um, The Color of class politics or economic anxiety. And, you know, I just think if you actually do end up, especially if it's close and, you know, God forbid there's some kind of brokered convention and Bernie actually has the most votes and he's screwed out of the nomination or something. But even beyond such a radical scenario, I think that there actually is more of a risk that than people realize in nominating just some boring rich guy who speaks only to them. You know, that's the, that is what I do notice, particularly Beto, that demographic that he speaks to, especially in media, they do a really bad job of distinguishing between what they like. Like they only have two things. They have like, they're the good people and they like what I like. And then there are the evil monsters who like Trump. Right. Whereas if you're being a little bit more intelligent, looking at the data, like there's a lot of different subgroups and there's a lot of different ways that people process information. So I know that, you know, of course, I sport Bernie on the merits, but like I know that there's certain, you know, it's like Bernie's not going to, you know, it's not going to work with every right. with everybody. Right. And so I think like. But I think specifically it will work with the type of people we need in say like Wisconsin across the board. So, you know, I think that. There is actually a risk of a country that's still very angry and has a lot of really deep problems and a totally ruthless opposition and just some fucking dork going around doing West Wing speeches. I think I'm and, and, not convinced by that, to be and honest. And I think the problem with running a corporatist Democrat yeah. is that you opened yourself up to the idea of like, even if, say, a Hillary Clinton will be better for you economically than um, – Donald Trump, but like if you are a conservative leaning voter and you see Hillary Clinton espousing like, oh, these these worker friendly things, blah, 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 blah. It's like the Democrats are full of shit. They nominated one of the biggest corporatists in the party, somebody who literally gets paid by Goldman fucking Sachs to give speeches to be their presidential nominee. And it seems hypocritical, right? Um, nominating somebody like Bernie authenticates the entire message across the board, right? Like he doesn't have those warts when it comes to issues that concern workers. And so I see what you're saying. Like it, there is an inherent risk in just running a run of the mill, you know, center left, if anything, center right Democrat. You know what I'm I saying? I mean, dude, I get he it. supports all these trade agreements. And I feel like, you know, again, like I'll just say this real quick. I know we got to move, but like with Hillary Clinton, you know, it was not as simple as, of course, Donald Trump is lying and of course he's a scumbag and of course no one should ever vote for him. And of course, 90 something percent of people who voted for him, it was all racially motivated, no doubt. But on the other hand, like when you, you're going to go lecture people and say, oh, Hillary was better for you. I'm sorry. They have memories. They know that her husband's administration was fucking terrible for them. And they know that she never did a goddamn thing for them in the Senate. In fact, she voted against them regularly. So right. I just think look at a certain point, like you can't demand that people have no historical memory either. You know what I mean? And a lot of people tap that one out. And I could see if you 
put somebody forward who's and it's like, hey, I, I don't know if I can keep my house or whatever the issue like the actual issue is. And this rich guy shows up and is just like, I love democracy and ingenuity and America's so amazing, guys. It's like, fuck you. Like, I'll I'll not wait in line. I'll go figure out my third job. Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, again, I, this, these are all things that I agree with. You know, obviously, the pro- another problem that we run into is the cognitive cognitive dissidence where like every single person in the party was rooting for him to to defeat Ted Cruz and it's like well so now we're supposed to just hate the guy after we all talked about how great he was and how exciting his campaign was and how exciting his fundraising machine was and all this and this and that like that's that's so running as so running as John Cornyn for Senate like like Andrew Gillum he just announced I think it was yesterday he's like here's what I'm doing I'm creating this huge voter registration push in Florida. And all of a sudden I'm like, Andrew Gillum is one of the best, most honorable leaders in the United States. Like it's also, it's also just like, there's no reason you should be running for president. It is bullshit. And if you actually cared about the country, you might have a shot at taking out John Cornyn. So do it. (laughs) What very well said. I'm sorry, people, but this is out of control. People literally wanted Beto O'Rourke to apologize because he said about the presidential race, I was born for this. And they were like, that's white privilege. Are you saying the presidency is your birthright? No, born for this is a figure of speech we all use to indicate we're ready for something, all right? I wasn't actually born for the all-you-can-eat buffet. It's just something I say. This shit is getting ridiculous. This is not wokeness, this is insanity. Can you imagine if Beto took this attitude into the White House, huh? North Korea would launch missiles and his aide would be like, Mr. President, what do you want to do? And he'd be like, uh, as a white man, maybe it's my time to listen to what these missiles have to say. Be like, breaking news, New York City was wiped out, but the president is a woke man. Uh, what we got next, Wise? What's next? Uh, next, I mean, yeah, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the tragedy out in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, you know, a bunch of a bunch of people of Muslim faith were gunned down by a white nationalist, right wing extremist. It's important we make these distinctions because. Ah, man, when the, a lot of these things have a tendency to not stick to white nationalists, right, as a movement. Um, if one lone Muslim dude walks into a park and kills a few people, we call that terrorism. Um, I happen to be in Barcelona in, two th- in uh, August of 2017. I think it was August. Yeah, it was August of 2017 when a dude got in a car and ran a few people over. I think he killed like three or four people. Yeah. He was a Muslim. We called it a terrorist attack. Uh, you know, it, it, and the list goes on, right? Um, whether it be Hamas, it doesn't matter. Like, we will call it a terrorist attack. As so long as the people who are, you know, perpetrating the terrorism are Muslim, we have no problem identifying it as terrorism. But for whatever reason, when things get done in the name of white nationalism, you know, uh, ethnic cleansing and, and the just straight up religious bigotry, it doesn't stick to them. It doesn't stick to them. So I think it's important that we always make the distinction that, like, yes, this is a white, right wing, white nationalist terrorist attack, terrorist problem. And we're seeing more of this stuff around globally. Like, this isn't just a United States problem where they kill all those Jewish people in the temple. This isn't uh, a a European problem. It's everywhere to the point where now it's in New Zealand. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that you have to understand this as a global movement. Um, 100%. And I think, and you have to recognize the connections, as you said, whether it's just the reality of Donald Trump in the White House or a party like Golden Dawn in Greece, but even, or the assassination of Marielle Franco in Brazil, who was an amazing Afro-Brazilian activist and, you know. Down to the Brazilian president, man. He's, he's. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, evidence every day, you know, literally connecting, um, you know, on every possible level, the cartel that assassinated her with the Bolsonaro family, right? And so I think that, um, I think it's also really, I think there's also another good area where, 
people have to really get that, that like Bill Fletcher Jr. It's disgusting, but it's great. He says fascism is the herpes of capitalism. And the point that he meant was like, you know, some people like there's that very like kind of false debate of like, can we understand all of these things as purely just like cultural evils, you know, like racism or is everything just like, well, you know, you think it's about that, but it's really about economics. You know what I'm saying? And obviously it's all of the above. And if you think and look at it historically, you do understand, you know, that the roots of all of these racist narratives there isn't, you know, it's the corollary of imperialism. I mean, basically, if you want to go roam the globe and shit, oh my ships, god, hundred percent, you know, rape and plunder. Just, and just steal. the idea that the British Empire or any other empire could go to a place like India and be like, yeah, this is ours now. Like that's what this is going to breed, right? Just by virtue of we're the Brits, we're white, we're European. It's our birthright to these things, right? It's our birthright to civilize these savages. Of course, this is what feeds out of that. The idea that. The white man is God. The white man deserves all. The white man should have his rightful place at the forefront of the universe. Um, obviously, like if you can't understand how, you know, and not just American imperialism or or just straight up, you know, the idea that we're going to the Americans are going to go in and take down Saddam Hussein and fix the Middle East forever. That's all that all flow, white nationalism flows out of all of that without yeah, question. White, exactly. And I think, you know, I mentioned the other day on my show, there was this great piece. I mean, it's really depressing, but it's a really bracing essay called The Age of Humanism is Ending by uh, this Cameroonian philosopher named Achille Mbembe. I really am fucking living up to my website bio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Facts. Yeah. <laughs> but let's not say, like, he really, did say. <laughs> you're reading <laughs> literature from people from Cameroon? Like, okay. <laughs> so woke, but so not. But um, he, he said, um, but in this piece, you know, he does court, he does coordinate these things really well of these global histories. And that also, you know, on the other hand, some people who get, you know, have the right response of horror and shock to what happened, you know, the terrorism in Christchurch are also the same people who will still justify, you know, droning people with U.S. drones indiscriminately or, you know, the Israelis indiscriminately killing civilians in Gaza. And if you can't see that as all part of the same ecosystem. Uh, again, you're not being coherent. And also that, of course, people who do this are disgusting, loathsome people who need to be destroyed and defeated. And also that there's no doubt that just as, in fact, in the Middle East and questions of like groups like Al Qaeda, this does also correlate with like collapsing um, not only economic conditions, but also like outlets for actual social purpose. And so I think that, you know, there, it requires like a much bigger discussion and a much bigger understanding. The only other thing I'd say is that, you know, in general, I actually think that, you know, like I actually really don't like when people take like. Uh, say like some, you know, a horrific event, like a school shooting or a mass shooting or something and say, let's call that terrorism. I actually think we need to try to use that word less, to be honest. Right. Uh, but in this case, if you are taking a politically motivated act of mass murder, which is terrorism, which is what happened in Christchurch and calling it anything other than terrorism, then you have an Islamicophobic and anti-Muslim agenda. And I just make that distinction because, again, I think big picture, you shouldn't be using that word to describe everything. And we should actually be trying to get way more specific and less general about that word. But then on the other hand, if you're only using it to describe, you know, uh, attacks like the one in Spain that was done by, I, th I think, someone who pledged allegiance to ISIS or something, but not this act, which is an act of white supremacy based terrorism, then you cannot be trusted. My thing is, I get I get that terrorism is basically a politically based act, right? Like it has a focus and a function. The violence like is supposed to have a political end, send a political message. But if as somebody who lived in New York during 9-11, and again, I'm 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 being sensitive here, guys. I understand it was a traumatic event for the people of Barcelona. But like I lived in New York when 9-11 happened, and we called that terrorism, and rightfully so. That was terrorist act, you know, like three thousand people died. 
for them to turn around and also call a guy running over some people. And I know people died and it sucked and it was tragic and it was horrible. Terrorism. I'm like, man, we need, a, we need some new distinctions here. Do <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like crashing yeah. two planes into two buildings and, you know, going crazy in a car. Like, I don't know. The, the, the distinctions need to be made here. I don't know. Maybe I'm just parsing. No, I think – I mean, look, I think one distinction is – Terrorism is just a question of is it is it politically driven or ideologically driven violence? And in that sense, the scale of the attack, whether it's by a, a Nazi or Al Qaeda, doesn't matter. On the other hand, I mean, I think there probably is a whole other scale question, which is, again, actually. And it's, useful, it seems morbid, right, to be counting up bodies and making useful. distinctions. Definitely. I agree with you, though it would be useful, probably my understanding, you know, I mean. I think it'd be useful from counterterrorism, to be honest with you, because there's no doubt that if, you know, each of these events wasn't like put on such a pedestal, just frankly, like, again, if you read some of these manuals or look at some of the translations of these groups, which are really sick and disturbing to read, but they will basically like they know the media landscape. And if the oxygen was sucked out of it, it was like, hey, somebody did something horrific, disgusting. They're either dead or they're in custody. They'll never be seen again, you know, or whatever. Like they'll be seen because they'll go through court. But you know what I mean? Like they'll spend the rest of their lives in prison or if they're in a place that has a death penalty, I don't support it. But, you know, they'll probably get it. And or they got shot after they did it, whatever. And that's it. We're not going to say their name. We're not going to hype this up. That actually probably would undermine at least a little bit of that incentive because, you know, if you look at these manuals, I mean, obviously it did work in 9-11 and that's like was fucking horrifying and thousands of people were murdered. But on the other hand, there was a lot more plots and things that were foiled because they had the idea that like, you know, if you're going to do it, you got to do it big. And then recently the shift has been like, well, you could just go to a shopping mall and shoot a bunch of people and it's not as big and it's obviously fucking horrible in a way they actually understand psychologically it's slightly more terrifying actually, but you could undercut it by just not feeding it the same energy. I think there's some truth to that. Again, you got to cover it and talk about it, but it's almost like. You know, I mean, this happens and Trump comes out and it's like, I don't know if it's white supremacy and it's not taken seriously enough at all because, of course, Trump is that. But then on the other hand, I think some of these things that happen from Al Qaeda and ISIS, if it's something like happened in Spain, it could be treated as, you know, covered and treated as a horrifying crime. But frankly, yeah, probably a little bit less hyped up, to be honest. I think strategically it might be more effective in deterring it. I mean, they, they always say when they talk about like, you know, this is different, but like just fucking crazy people that do like mass shootings. I've seen those studies that are like, if you want to discourage people who would do something like this from doing something like this. Don't do the wall to wall coverage. Don't do the wall to wall coverage. Every single person says that with a professional understanding of that. Everybody. Yeah, I agree. Like the idea of, of making somebody famous and turning them into a pseudo celeb a la Ted Bundy, where you might get a you might get one day get a dope biopic made by you by a beautiful white man. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, you know, there's an, there's a certain appeal to a certain type of, you know, messed up personality, yeah. uh, you know, but I just think. I just didn't think I just think specifically with that white nationalism stuff, because. Again, politically, it's gaining force all around the world, yep. right? Like you're seeing it crop up all over Europe, obviously here in America. Uh, it's 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 gaining traction all over the place. And so I see these I see these acts of violence as a connection to that, right? Like as in it with um in concert with those things. And so it's important to point out, like, yo, this is a problem, and that like the powers that be need to step it up and take it more seriously. Definitely. on your reign? Is that like, like nah, it's not that. It's just like, it's more so, um, everyone goes through that, you know, when you're on top of top of, of the game or when you're on top of your game. Um, 
you gotta go through that. Everyone is frustrated. Everyone wants to be in your position. I mean, it's, it's ambition, and that's what rap is built on. And what it does to me, like I don't know what it does to other people when they was in this position. What it does to me, it makes me one. It makes me. It makes the competitive spirit come out. I'm ready to do it. You know what I'm saying? I, I, yeah, let's do it. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So, so um, um, it just it gives just me gives fire, fire. You know. You know? The Library of Congress has announced that they are adding a new hip-hop album. There's actually several others that are already there, but this one is from 2002. And it is, you know, an album that even I, who, you know, I'm not, I don't even, of course I'm a big Jay-Z fan, but I'm not as big as other Jay-Z fans. The Blueprint, I think universally recognized as, as just a, Monster type of album actually that really makes you angry at title because every day it's like oh I want to hear that yeah blueprint yeah. oh right the, just it to the, the same way that all these streaming services scammed us now we realize like oh I gotta start buying DVDs again because I want to actually watch movies and none of them are available online Jay Z did that to us with title but whatever Be, that being said it belongs a hundred percent in the Library of Congress and I just want to read. The other uh, albums that are there, uh, because this is a pretty good list, but there's a couple of admissions uh, that I'm a little pissed about. But let's just start with, you know, this is this makes sense. OK, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, The Message, which is that's actually like you could teach. I feel like Reaganomics, yeah. that song. That's a classic. It, it, and it's and it's probably the first conscious rap song ever. <laughs> like right. it, 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 commercially anyway, like it might probably be. Um, Agent Zero for what you call conscious, what you call protest rap music. Fear of a Black Planet, Public Enemy, makes sense. Tupac Shakur, Dear Mama, De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising, Sugar Hill and the Gang, Rapper's Delight, Lauren Hill, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, NWA, Straight Outta Compton, Run DMC, Raising Hell, and now Jay-Z's The Blueprint. Now, <laughs> let me just, okay, let me go. First of all, look. I'm not trying to appropriate anything, but, and I know that he's Canadian, but the fact that snow is not on that list is a fact. <laughs> right? Informer is a classic. Informer is, is a classic, and so is I will do any, anything just for you. Such a classic. <laughs> snow is a beast, man. <laughs> you, know you know what, though? You know what's funny about snow, though? It's so easy to, to joke about snow, because, like, of course, but <laughs> one time when, uh, T, T from Champagne Sharks was on my show. We were talking. I don't know how this came up, but we were having a snow a snow riff. And, and he said, you know, the thing about snow, though, is that everybody trashes them. But then you go to, like, you know, Sunsplash or some, some reggae festival or whatever with, like, a bunch of Jamaicans. Those and they're songs. all unironically playing snow. Like it's, and, they, and people love those songs. Trust me. Yeah, and, 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 of course. They're great. And, I mean, that, dude, in real time in the East Flatbush. Yes. Um, the, the most Caribbean place on planet Earth. Yeah. People were obsessed with that record, with those of records. Course. Of course. <laughs> They're fun. Yeah. I will say, let me just say seriously, and I'm not even going to turn this into something parochial, but I just think like I'm happy with everything on that list. They all make total sense in terms of even just like geography and history and type of rap. I don't know how you have a list like that legitimately. With okay, I'll say obviously everybody expects me to say Illmatic, and yes, Illmatic, hundred percent. But I'm also ready to die. I don't. I mean, I don't know, man. That's wild to me that those two are not on that list. But every, I mean, everything else makes sense. I'm not saying anything should be removed from the list to make room for those two. But that's sure. crazy that they're not on the list. I'm sure eventually at some point the Library of Congress will get, you know, their act together and they will have those uh, those projects in there for sure because they are historical in nature, both Ready to Die and Illmatic, of course. But I will say, you know, I just want to say as the resident Jay-Z stan, Jay-Z alcoholic yep. on the panel, um, Blueprint is, def is without question – I mean – Illmatic is definitely Hove's best album. In my, not Illmatic, excuse me. Reasonable Doubt is definitely Jay-Z's 
best album in my estimation but in many ways blueprint is the most important it's the it's the most influential absolutely the most influential piece of work that jay-z's ever done because right before that he had dropped the dynasty which was basically a glorified compilation um before the dynasty was blueprint three uh which you know did decently well commercially but people were just like I mean, not Blueprint 3. Why did I just say that? Volume 3. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. losing my shit today. Volume I, I 3, got which, which did decently I well got commercially, you. but I, I would say critically, people were a little bit eh. And um, the, just the sound of what the Dynasty was, it was very current within hip-hop, right? And of course, the story of the Blueprint is now legendary. Uh, Kanye sent, sent Jay-Z a beat package of like, I think six or seven beats and he ended up recording to like five or six of them in one weekend, which like if people know Hove, like he does one song a day, maybe, right? And one weekend right. did like six or seven songs and he was basically like, I had the album. And that soul infused, that soul inspired sound was basically, basically shifted the entire sound of rap. And for years, people went in the direction of soul-based sample beats, right? Um, and so that's why- I And I gotta tell you, I missed that. Right. <laughs> I mean, I- mean, I, every now and again, you get it, right? Like yeah, even a song- even a song like I want to say, even a song like uh, Twenty One Savage and J Cole, a lot like that beat right. traces lineages back to That's something true. like Never Change or Heart of the City or whatever, um, whatever they did together back in two thousand one. And so, you know, to me, the blueprint is just Jay Z's most important. I, I remember when it came out. Um, because we were little internet shits, we got the album a few, like a week or so before, cause it leaked. Um, and it was just, it was a revelation to everybody. Kids my age in 2000, in summer 2001, I, uh, 2001, I would have been, shit, I would have been 14 years old. So pe- my peers, people in high school around my age and maybe a little bit younger were loving the album. And then, like the old heads, there was no old head who didn't love the album, right? Like it spoke to generations of hip hop listeners. And so, man, it's, it's kind of cool to see that it's getting its recognition and it's just due by the, you know, the U- United States government. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I agree. I think Blueprint that actually probably is my favorite Jay-Z album. Right. Um, I wouldn't go to the mat, you know, in terms of an argument about that versus reasonable doubt. And I do like the black album a lot too. Yes. Uh, but to me, yeah, I, I think cause it's also like the aesthetic of it. Like that, that was an album when, um, even when I first heard it, I know I wasn't thinking this out like this at the time, but you got like this impression, like you could not only like see the movies in your head, like all good rap records, but you could yeah. also get a sense of like the time and the place and, and um, like what clothes you would wear to like be in these scenes. And the, and also the way that he really, um he was like the most of the moment person. Cause he was the top, you know, rapper, blah, blah, blah. He was the, you know, all the cars and jewelry and everything was the latest blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, he like elevated himself. He was like, no, I'm actually also, I'm not just like the fad of this moment through the samples and what I'm building off of. I'm part of this whole like tradition of like the best of American like art and entertainment basically, because that's yep. really what you're doing if you're effectively using those samples. Yep. So, yeah, I I mean I just yeah, it's an amazing I mean, yeah, on something on something like on something like Takeover, Kanye samples the doors. You know, like, yeah, like it's, it's crazy, and it, it's also crazy. it's crazy to think Takeover is in the fucking Library of Congress. That's 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 ridiculous. That is ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. 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 You know, um, but but yeah, man, it's it's just uh, it was just a complete body of work. Like, there's probably two songs on there that I straight up don't like. I think it's just Jigga Jigga. I don't, I really, really de- that's a lie. It's just Jigga Jigga. The one song that I'm just like, oh, that song I just, can't keep that's that. goofy. That, but, I mean, the thing about that song on that album as I recall, it's just so you know, it's not even it's like a the cynical, song. It's the cynical club party. It's the club blah, 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 song. Record. And the problem is, is it's like that album is too good for that. 
Yeah, sonically, it has no place on the album. Yeah, it, it just, just doesn't, doesn't fit. Like really anything. doesn't fit. Like, I... Songs you know, like Song Cry, Just Blaze, of course, one of the best beats he ever made, one of the best songs he ever made. He also did Girls, Girls, Girls on that album. He did... Uh, I he still- did- that's you still, don't know awesome. is on that, that album. So I mean, hard. the album is just crazy. That Eddie Murphy riff. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think he could get away with that. Um, uh, yeah, like that sort of. To, I had a Chinese chick. I had to leave her quick because she kept playing my shit. <laughs> <laughs> not cool. Okay, this is the Mike. This is the woke bros. Now we 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 shouldn't be laughing about this. Type oh of- no 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 no! Emphasis Thanks. on bros for this part of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that line still draws a laugh, and you know no, that that's all of those. As racially problematic as it is, and as you know factually true as it is uh you know right it still draws a laugh in 2019 so yeah man this is one of the it's one of the rare days that you see a news item and say huh that's really cool yeah no it's it is really it's great and it's also definitely like you know the when culture works right the the best the good you know, just because something's in the margins doesn't mean it's good as a cultural product. Some people confuse that. But on the other hand, the great, the good of the margins, like when they move to the center and recreate culture, that's an accomplishment. That's obviously been the story of hip hop. And this is a you know affirmation of that, of a great album. So that's, a, you know, that's a positive note. All right, Rob Lopez, man. Any, do we got anything else? Are we missing anything besides reiterating the LA TMBS live show on 420 at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles, California? Me, Anna Kasparian, uh, my, my, my athletic colleague, Nando, man. Of course, Michael Brooks is hosting the thing. I know Maddie going to be in the building producing the shit out of it. I miss Maddie all the time. Uh, make David sure you Griscom, who was very Griscom in the building. You. Yeah, yeah, man. Yo, you know what's so crazy, man? Because me and him have never interacted on Twitter, something happened and he he, he uh, retweeted some of mine and said David Griscom. And I was like, God, I hate when people are following me and I'm not following them back and I'm supposed to be because I don't want anybody to get the impression that I'm like big time in them or some shit. I always get like, <laughs> uh, like I'm always so conscious of that and insecure about it. But are um, you, yeah, big, you big timing, Dave, man? No, 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 no. That would never happen. That would never be the case. But yeah, man, everybody's going to be in the building. It's going to be an amazing show. Of course, don't forget about Count the Dings Live in Chicago, May 18th um, at the Lincoln Hall. Uh, that that's The tickets are on sale now. Make sure you get your hands on that. That's going to be incredible. And like I always say, man, thank you to all of our Patreons. You make everything that we do possible. There is absolutely no way we would have been able to support the pod to make the podcast happen to put ourselves in a position to elevate our platform the way we did within one year of the launch of count the dings within one year we've been able to elevate the the platform and do something what i consider to be a win and that win absolutely belongs to all our listeners and especially all of our patrons man because the the support was absolutely needed absolutely necessary and it was the engine that drove us to this point and i think we're only gonna get better get bigger um get more woke get more broy as we go on man I'm, i'm i'm really appreciative of all of this stuff mike I'm, I could not be more appreciative to of everybody in this whole universe that makes all of these shows possible. Of course, the patrons. I mean, just genuinely, generally, like every single time, either I happen to run into somebody in person or communicate with somebody on social media. I mean, I'm honestly just I'm honored. I mean, really, I say that all the time because it's true. I really am. And we'll all keep doing our best for you. In the meantime, I'm trying to figure out a 2019 version of the Jay-Z line about Patreon passwords. But I'll I'll see if I come up with anything. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. We will see you guys next week. We're more than likely going to be doing a mailbag. So get your questions ready. Get your questions primed. Me and Michael Brooks will answer all of your questions from politics to culture to, hey, man, maybe we'll get into some love questions. You never know, man. You never know what the woke bros, what you're going to get. But be ready for next week's mailbag.
Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.